foundation, what it means to have a firm foundation in Christ. I could not uh, leave out this particular topic for to be called to be a follower of Christ is a call to generosity. It is, it's not an episodic event that takes place in our life. It is a way of life to be generous. To follow Christ is to follow generosity. Generosity has its place in our life. Uh, if, I, if I was to pick out maybe a scripture in all the Bible that encapsulates how I personally feel about generosity, it would be Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Write that down. We can look at that later. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Jeremiah could not refrain from bringing forth the full counsel of God. And this is what makes him special, the weeping prophet. Yes, this is a foundational message that a born-again believer, a new believer in this world today has to be taught, has to be discipled, has to be aware on an ongoing basis of the need for generosity. I hope to define that. I hope to look at Jesus. And I hope to show you some scripture this morning which you're not going to anticipate on how deep this call to generosity actually is. How central it is to the ministry of Christ and how imperative it is in the world in which we live today. Years ago, my son was in uh, Summit Charter School and uh, Summit Charter School, as some of you know, would have an annual graduation. It was usually outside. Their graduating class was, I don't know, usually eight to 12, maybe, young people. And um, there was a man from this church that would show up at every graduation. And if you looked for him and saw him there, you'd see him. He had a bunch of cards in his hand, envelopes and all. And sometimes I think he had flowers in his hand. I can't remember. Anyway, his name was Jim. Still is Jim, as far as I know. And uh, he's since moved. Well, one day, my son came up to me, and he goes, Dad, what does the word magnanimous mean? And I said, well, it means generous, one who liberally gives to another. He said, like Jim. I said, yeah, that's a great example. Jim would stand there and hand out cards, handwritten cards to every graduate, whether he knew them or not. He'd invest in them right there at their day of graduation from eighth grade and make them feel as special as they possibly could. This total stranger walking up to them, lavishing generosity on them. And my son noticed that. And Jim, to my son, became a moving, walking picture of generosity. So the next time I was at the coffee house in Cashers, I saw Jim and I said, uh, 
this is what happened with my son, and this is how he defined it. He started crying. He goes, wow. He, was a mag- he is a magnanimous man. I like that. That's a great quality. It's a hallmark of a Christian generosity. So, okay, do you really want to hear the word of God this morning? I mean, be careful how you answer this. Don't think I didn't warn you. You set? I hope so. The call to follow Christ is a clarion call to generosity, period. Acts 20, verse 32 to 34. By the way, I have no idea where this message is going, so if I don't fill in every blank on your sheet, you pretty much have to get over it. It'll be okay, don't worry. That too is in the Bible. Acts 20, 32 to 34. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not, this is Paul speaking, I have not coveted any anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Verse 35, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That sets the tone for what I want to talk to you about this morning. You find it in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Got that? A good measure, pressed down, shaken, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This verse right here is the, one of the most abused verses in all of the kingdom of God. People have built ministries on this verse and twisted its meaning into a prosperity gospel. That if you give financially, you will receive financially. As though Jesus is using investment firms to bring about his promises as we sow financially into the kingdom of God. It is hardly that. This verse exists in the context of the Sermon on the Mount and in the context of a a conversation about judgment. It is a principle of sowing and reaping, but it's not meant to be understood financially. Let me say this one time again. We do not give financially to get financially. If that that is your intent and motive, my guess is it's not going to happen. So stop giving. If that's your motivation, stop giving. Or get a new motivation. And that one is called worship. I can't say it any more plain than that. All right, here it is. What I'm I'm going to share with you in the next few moments is from Jesus. Remember that. It is radical. Don't forget that. It is a radical, extreme 
countercultural reality about generosity that I'm going to share with you. It is so extreme. Now, we have the word extreme come up all the time in our vernacular in our world today. There was uh, Islamic extremism. There's right-wing extremism. There's left-wing extremism. There's this kind. There's white supremacy extremism. There's political extremism. There's religious extremism. Extremism exists everywhere. There's a divisive culture. Extremism abounds. But... What I'm about to share with you is not an exception. Jesus Christ is calling you to a radical extremism. So radical that we have to distort the verse so as not to have to deal with the reality of what it truly means. Let me say it again. We have to distort the verse and make it understandable and palpable in a way that agrees with us For to do the opposite, which is to confront it for what it really means, we'd have to radically, extremely radically change the way we think and behave in this world today. Nobody's left yet. Okay. There is a a very simple thing to understand. You and I are not called to conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Said another way, the church should not look like the world, should not act like the world. The world should know that the church doesn't act the way the world does when it comes to generosity. What Jesus is speaking about is a generosity that is rooted and established in the gospel. That's what he's talking about first and foremost. Some generosity is meant to be, we're, we're meant to be anonymous in our generosity. This generosity is supposed to be public. It is a generosity that is on display. It is the sharing of things with other people so as to bring glory to God, so as to make known what a believer and follower of Christ truly is and truly does. This is a public thing. I'm going to tell you, I'll give you an example of the extremism I'm talking about. Jesus calls his followers to love their enemies, to do good to those who hate them, to bless those who curse them, to pray for those who mistreat, disagree, oppose, Who's doing this? Who's doing this? I can see now why we want to make this verse about money. This is a radical extremism rooted in the ministry of Jesus Christ that is intended to minister to those who oppose us, persecute us, revile us, can't stand us, mock us, so as to differentiate his people from everyone else. And this is where we're in trouble. For the most part, the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, is difficult to distinguish from the world in this area. And this is worthy of some reflection.
We can't be those who refuse those people and retaliate. So says Jesus. We are called to give freely and generously. So says Jesus. To treat others in a way they would, they would like to be treated themselves. We have to treat others the way we want to be treated ourselves. Without a but. Without a but. But, what about, but what, what about that? But what about that? There's no butology in Jesus' theology. He's very clear. And anyone responsible enough to tell you what it really means has to be clear as well. There doesn't need to be any confusion about this. It gets worse, by the way. You think this is bad. Jesus promised us. I, sometimes I wonder why we even were praying against some of the stuff that he promised is going to come to pass. You know, after a while, I think we'd catch on. They are going to hate us. They are going to curse us. They are going to blaspheme his name. They are going to mock us. They are going to cheat us. They are going to steal from us. This is it. I mean, come on. It, he, he, he like told us this. I don't know why we didn't expect it. They're going to do that to us because they're doing it to him, and we're in him. Guess what? Because we're in him, we get the flack. If you want to look at the word of God and, you know, something as crazy as that. So what is a Christian extremist? That's not a bad question, really. A Christian extremist in 2020. Three is a person who actually is obedient to the teachings of Christ. That would be an extremist. That would be actually more the exception than the rule. All right? I told you it's getting worse. Now it really gets bad. Listen to this. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to anyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Oh, that's, that's worth repeating. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. I wonder, oh God, this is gonna get bad here in a second. I wonder if sinners, lost people, actually act with a deeper level of righteousness than the church. Ouch. What is he talking about here? And if you do go to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. I'll tell you who's messing up the whole thing. It's these people who don't know Christ who live right. They are a problem. They're kind, they're generous, they're forgiving. They only speak when it's an improvement on silence. They don't bicker. These people are messing everything up because it's revealing to us what we're not and it's really confusing. We need to get those people to act worse. 
so that we look better. That's a plan. Let's, let's do that. Let's do that. That's a plan. You think about how to do it. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? What? Nobody preaches on this. This is ridiculous. This is how you get fired right here. Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. What? Do you have this in your Bible? Is this like, is this a misprint? A radical countercultural life of generosity. I've been here 15 years. I've been stolen from on a few occasions. One guy ripped me off. I don't know, it's it's arguable. Around $8,500. Others have stolen from me in other ways. And the thing about living in a small town, this is what really stinks, because you know you're going to see them, right? It's not like Atlanta. What are the odds you run into somebody in Atlanta at a grocery store? No, no. You're going to see them. So you got to, and, and when they live close to you, you know you're going to see them. So now, and when you need them for something, on top of that, that's even worse. Oh, and when they tell you all the time they love you, nah, that really gets bad. So what do you do? Uh, it's really something. This countercultural life of generosity. Uh, requires a radical internal transformation. I mean, it'll ruin your business plan, for sure. Um, it'll, it'll mess you up. It'll cost you. But I don't know how many different ways you can interpret this, but good luck with that. Pretty straightforward. I'm finding it also hard Don't mimic those who act differently and don't follow Christ. There's there's so many people being followed in the world today that we, as a body of Christ, end up mimicking or supporting behavior that's so ridiculous. It costs us credibility. Who are you mimicking? Who are you applauding? Who are you following? What are you laughing at that Christ doesn't think is funny? Sometimes the most prosperous people in the world are the least generous. Sometimes the most prosperous people in the world are the most generous. Sometimes the the people who lack the most are the most generous. And sometimes the people that lack the most are the least generous. He says, I want you to have 
a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, and it'll be poured into your lap. What is he talking about? You have the power to set the bar for how much is coming back your way as a result of living a generous life. Let me say that again. The measure that you are generous is the standard of measurement by which you will receive back generosity. And this has nothing to do with money. Not this verse, nothing. So let's put it this way. How judgmental am I? How merciful am I? How much grace do I? How much forgiveness? How much do I refuse doing what my heart tells me to do when I'm enraged by the people who have wronged me? How do I try to get even? Do I say something behind their back? Do I try to ruin their credibility? What is my stance as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as a guy who lives in this community, as a businessman in this community? What is my responsibility when inevitably I am going to be wronged? I am wronged by people who are close to me. How do you do that? Well, the first thing you got to do is expect it, because we were told up front. Those who oppose us should not display a greater level of maturity outside of Christ than we do in Christ. Ooh. I was in I was in Lowe's last night. Not unusual. I'm there four times a week. I am not at all surprised. I would not be surprised if a Thanksgiving, came, Thanksgiving dinner came up and half the Lowe's employees were at my house one year. I would not be the least bit surprised. <clears throat> I'm in the appliance section. I have a simple question about a, uh, a range hood. Quick question. So I'm walking back there. The Lowe's guy is talking to some woman who I perceive he wants to date. Because he was answering her questions, but the way he added to his answers and the way he said it told me, I, I could have schooled him a little bit on, you know, dude, like, back off in that area, go a little stronger here. <laughs> Maybe an appliance metaphor, something. Do something. Like, your, your approach is not getting it. And the red vest doesn't get you very far. So... She's wanting to get out of the store. He's wanting to elongate the conversation. I just have one question about a vent hood. So she leaves, and he's standing there, and he goes, can I help you? So I said, sure. I asked him a question. Well, little did I know, there's a guy sitting down at the table by the cash register, you know, where they keep the dog treats and stuff like that. He was waiting for him. Well, how did I know that? How do I know? It's not my business to know what this guy's business is. So he gets real put out with me because I stepped in front of him. Well, he's back there lounging. I'm in a different aisle. I don't know anything about his MO. All I know is this guy didn't get a date. That's all I know. So I walk around the corner and he looks at me in disgust. Excuse me. 
He goes, I was waiting. Normally, I would have been, forget it. I was in a bad mood. And I said to him something along the lines of, oh my gosh, I totally think it's going to be okay. I totally think you're going to be okay. To which the Holy Spirit, excuse me, my wife said, (laughs) Holy Spirit didn't have time to talk. (laughs) Yeah, just what Jesus would do. (laughs) Great. So now for the next six weeks, I got to scan the audience to see if this guy goes to church at Highland. Not very generous of me. And this always happens. It always happens the night before the message on generosity and getting along with people who don't like you or whatever. Happens every time. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Hmm. Yes, we set the bar on what we receive. Um, I used to walk, my wife ran the coffee house for us down at Western Carolina University years ago, and she would always take those, uh, when you make espresso, you know, a shot. I don't know what that thing's called, but you press it down in there. Like, you're going to get as much in there as you possibly can before you run water and steam through it, right? Pushing it down in there. That's the way it is with the people who walk in obedience to Christ, who who overlook an offense, who forgive those who aren't worthy of forgiveness, who who impart grace and mercy to those who even oppose us. It's almost as though every time we do that, God crunches that down a little bit. Gonna get that down a little bit tighter. Gonna get a little more in there. And that's gonna end up being poured out right in your lap as a blessing. You ever opened up a bag of potato chips and you open it up and you look down in there, you can hear your echo. There's like three chips on the bottom of the bag. Or cereal box from Ingalls. You're already irritated that it costs four times retail what any other place in the world sells the same brand of cereal. And you open it up and it's like half, it's all settled in there. Well, that's what God does with blessings. He settles them down in there and keeps pouring more in there and more in there. So a full box of cereal from God is like three boxes compared to what Kellogg's puts out. He's looking to and fro across the world, looking for those who are going to adopt this level of generosity in their life. going to press it down. He's going to shake it together. It's going to run over in your life. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What I'm about to to tell you is incredibly important. A, A believer who is led by their emotions, primarily their emotions, is immature. 
I don't, I don't care who you are. If your decision-making is led by your emotions, you're probably walking out an immaturity, an immature version of the fullness of what Christ wants for you. We don't do something because we don't feel like it. We don't feel up to it. As opposed to, we do things out of obedience because we love him. Now, the love is the motivation to do what he asks us to do. So we have to ask ourselves this question, if I'm not doing it, could I have an absence of love, absence of understanding, absence of conviction? I got an absence of something. If he's asking me to do it, I'm not doing it. Or I'm willfully not doing it, then I have a love problem, is what I have. Generosity isn't necessarily tied to your emotions. And it's not necessarily tied to your time or to what you have. We, the generosity I'm speaking about, the generosity Jesus is speaking about is encouragement, wisdom. Even correction, hope, faith, love, mercy, grace, joy, peace, patience. Are you liberal with your time when you can be? Are you extending patience? Or so, we, we frequent restaurants. I shouldn't even say this, but I'll... Maybe the Lord will help me make a point with it. I'm not patting my, we're not patting myself on my back or nothing like that. We have waitresses that, that wait on us in various restaurants, and one of them got into trouble. And they, long story short, she had no transportation, and she had to get her car fixed. And we, we got her car fixed for her. We helped her get her car fixed. For me, it was a phone call calling the body shop, who I've done a lot of business with, what can you do for this? This girl's going to come down to see you. Can you help her out? He goes, yeah, I'll take care of it for you. He probably charged us 50% of what he would have. That was easy. Anybody could make a phone call, right? Anybody could do a phone call. Anybody could pay a bill. That's not it. The generosity that Jesus is speaking about is sit there and Listen. Not all the time, but what I tell you to, listen. The number one thing to go right out the window in our culture, listening. Two, observe. Listen, observe. Care, care, care. Compassionately care. I'm a firm believer that... Young couples just get married and they, they start coming up. You need to have a budget, right? I teach this all the time in the financial circles. You need to have a budget. And the budget sheet that I use has, has tithe on it and this and that. So, but we need to have a budget apart from money. Every household, every household, even financial, needs to budget something to help somebody else out. I don't care how broke you are. 
I don't care if it's $10 a month, $5 a month, $2.50 a month. You need a budget. This is there to help somebody out. God's going to bring someone my way. I'm going to help somebody out. I'm expecting it. I'm intentional about it. I'm proactive about it. God's going to bring me people that need something. I don't have anything, but I'm going to have something to give. That's generosity. Now that, that number changes for all people. I know everybody's situation is different. You do what the word says you, you, for the kingdom of God, and then you, you budget. You budget for your hair cuts, your tires rotated, helping somebody out. Generosity. A generous person plans for that. But there's another budget. This week, this is Sunday. My job is to equip God's people for works of service. Your job is to do the work. I'm doing the work right now. You noticed I work on Sundays. You don't. Your job is go do the work. If my job is to do the work and your God is to pay me to do the work, you've got the most inefficient business model I've ever heard in the face of the earth. One guy do the work with 12 people helping him and the 400 of you will be back in a week. No, your job is to do the work. Now, so you budget. I have seven days. I have six days until next Sunday. I'm going to budget. I'm serious about this. I'm going to budget an hour. I'm going to budget half an hour. I don't know what it is. Where I am going to do nothing but be generous to someone else. I'm going to call them. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to call the person I want to call the least. Maybe if you're talking to them, I won't have to. You got that, didn't you? I'm going to be generous. I'm going to eat at this place, and I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm generous before I leave there. If I eat and I tip and the service is good, I'm going to really tip well. If I don't, I'm going to tell them I go to the Mormon church. So I say this to you, how generous are you? I'm not talking about money. How generous are you? As a person. You might have a really good answer to yourself and it might be a really good, honest answer and it's a wonderful thing. If so, let's take it up just a little bit. How generous are you with people? How generous are you with time? doesn't take long to look around a restaurant or a country club or a golf course or a pro shop and see somebody who needs some encouragement. How generous are you? Who's wronged you? Who's stolen from you? Who owes you money? If that's the case, you get this word out, you pray about it, you read it, you get an answer from the Lord. I'm not the Lord. You get an answer from the Lord how to deal with these situations. The worst thing that ever happened in the kingdom of God are two Christians going into business together. 99% of Christians that go into business together end up talking with me about how their relationship stunk because they wrote nothing down. 
They had different expectations, and they just thought the Lord would work it all out. How are we going to do this? Generosity, generosity, generosity. Be generous. You have, I have a need to be generous. It's in me. It's a need that has to be met. I have needs that have to be met, but I have a greater need, the need to be generous. Why? Because the measure with which I'm generous, I receive back. You can say that about a non-financial issue. You can say that. If I am judgmental as I can possibly be, I will be judged. There's a, there's a proportional relationship, reciprocal relationship between those things. Not in money, in relationships. How generous are you? And if you want to know if you need to be more generous, how much flack are you getting? And it may be, the very reality of it may be, that you're, you're, you're not giving out generosity. So you're not only, not even only receiving it back, you're receiving worse than that. How generous are you? How do you process your decisions being of generosity? Some of you are incredible. I would say of all the places I've ever lived in my life and all the people I've ever known, I would say that the people in this church are some of the most encouraging, generous people I've ever met. And I'm not talking about money. Money is not a replacement for relational generosity. You don't get off with that, nor do I. Generous, be generous. We still, each of us still has something to learn about Christ and about generosity. We still have, we still have to realize that if, if we're not generous in our life, if we're hoarders, keeping all words of encouragement to myself, after a while you're gonna end up a narcissist because you're gonna start talking great about yourself, right? So, if you're here today and this is bothering you a little bit, I want to share some things with you. If you lack generosity in your life, something within you might be broken. Okay? It, something may need to be put back together. If you lack generosity in your life, you, you might be a little underdeveloped in your faith. We've got to disciple you along. We've got to show you how to, to look in a different perspective. If you lack generosity, you might not understand things totally of what God is calling you to do. If you lack generosity, you might be shrouded in a fear of loss or a fear of, fear of going without or a fear of man, even worse. If you lack generosity, something within you might be dormant in your faith. And you're missing out on the most exciting part of being a Christian, selflessness. That's the best part of the whole gig. It's the cherry on top, man. And if you lack generosity, something within you might be dimmed by this culture. Let me say that another way. All of us who live in this culture we live in have to entertain the possibility that our generosity is stymied by the culture in which we live. And that's not an excuse. You and I are not to conform to the pattern of this world. 
we ought to stick out like a sore thumb and people ought to look at us and go, that guy is generous. That, that, that couple is so generous. And that there's no better compliment than that as a believer when someone says that that is the most generous family I've ever met and nothing had to do with money. Although money's great. You see what I'm saying? This Saturday, I made a decision about six weeks ago to have this uh, workshop uh, at the farm and I asked some people to put it on. It's called The Joy of Generosity. And the reason that I wanted to do it is because I want to redefine what generosity is. And I want as many people who can be there on Saturday to take a, a, an assessment, a generosity assessment, a tool, a survey of questions to understand your level of generosity and what causes you to be generous or not, what gets in the way of it or doesn't, and how you can become more generous in your life. I think, it's a, I think there's a need for this in the world, is there not? Have you ever had words like this said to you? Man, that guy's stingy, tight, cheap. Think of those three words. Stingy, tight, cheap. Stingy, tight, cheap. Stingy, tight. Stingy, tight, cheap. Stingy, tight, cheap. betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to him. He said, this is my body broken for you. Three years previous to that evening, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What can I give them, he's thinking, in Gethsemane? As he is bleeding from his forehead and duress. Wrestling with the voluntary, willing decision to become one with the sin of the world. Every sin and every sinner. He says, I'll give them my life. You have no greater love than to lay down your life for a friend. I'll give him my time. I'll be attentive. I'll be present. I'll be faithful. I'll give them eternity. I'll forgive their sin. I'll lay down my life. I'll be scourged. I'll do that for them. I'll be whipped, mocked, pierced, All that will happen. You see, the the Bible says Jesus holds all things 
together. He holds all things together. On the heels of his body was broken for us. Who does he want to follow him? And how does he want to be followed? By those who recognize his brokenness and realize their own brokenness is not outside his reach. That when your life is falling apart, he's the only one that can hold it together. You ever heard anybody say that to you? Just hold it together, man. Just hold it together. But sometimes you can't hold it together. He has to do that for you. And as one who's never been more broken on behalf of another, he can say that and he can do it. So that's what I'll do. I'll give him my life and I'll give him my time and I'll teach him things. I'll be their teacher. I'll give him the Bible. I'll, I'll always be there for him. And even when they run off, I'll be there when they get back. I might even go get them and bring them back. But he had to think of the most precious thing he had. His blood. It was a, it was a unique blood. It was a fully God, fully man. He's the only, only one who could give up his blood like that and it'd be of divine origin. Immaculate conception. I mean, divine origin. I'm going to give you my blood that justifies you and sanctifies you and protects you and cleanses you and forgives you and defines you as mine. I'll give you my blood. That is the pinnacle of generosity. And when you defy me or you blaspheme me, or you mock me, or you persecute my people, when you imprison them or make martyrs of them, when you make promises you can't keep, my blood will always be there. My blood is present and it's not defined or intended to be available or not available based on your inability or your direct opposition to who I am. It will always be available until it's not available. There's no greater gift of generosity. The best we can do is to lay down our life. That's all we have. But he gave us his blood of God. There it is. The gift. He is not cheap, tight. He is not a hoarder. He is not self-centered. He is a giver. And he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. He never stops giving. And what you do unto the least of these, you do it unto him. And the measure by which you extend your generosity to the very people he died for, that same measure will be brought back to you. 
There it is. Generosity. The communicants would come up, please. We're going to prepare to come to the Lord's table. for you. Is it possible that all of us collectively could rearrange things, reprioritize a little tweak here, a little turn there, a little decision there? It frees us up in the span of a week, if need be, just to intentionally be generous. Do we have that? We have that. Take the generosity you already exhibit in the lives of people and up it. Especially those who don't deserve it. For there, for the grace of God, go we. Mm-hmm.